Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 9, reading to the end of the book. Please give your attention as I read God's holy and inspired word in your hearing. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be ashamed, you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who among you, to whom is its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where Shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among the, all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. So, I'm sure some of you may have heard of the phrase, right? The phrase, uh, addition by subtraction. Addition by subtraction, which means essentially what you're saying is that sometimes in order to benefit a person or a group or a body or an organization, you have to cut off some things. We often think, no, more is better, right? More is good. But sometimes you need to do with less. Sometimes you need to cut some things off in order to benefit the greater body. Um, no clearer example of, of this is that we see oftentimes with cancer patients, right? You get cancer in a limb or cancer in your body somewhere, and what do you have to do? Well, you have to go in and purge it. You need to pull it out. You need to extract it. Why? Because if you leave it there, it is bad for you. It is very bad for you. Uh, sometimes uh, in a church, let's say, you have uh, people who are cantankerous, people who are malcontents, and sometimes you're better off as a church getting rid of those people, having them leave your church so that your church can grow. I think of the story that Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 15 where he talks about the vine and the branches, and he says that uh, my father... God, the Father, is the vine dresser. And He comes in. What does He do? He prunes the branches. He cuts off the dead branches in order to let the, the branches that are connected and alive bear more fruit. 
We have to purge to purify. In order to restore, one must first purge and purify. And that's what we see here in the book of Zephaniah. Again, just a brief recap of the book itself. Zephaniah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah during its close to its final years. He uh, ministered during the reign of King Josiah, who was a, a great and holy king. Uh, Josiah led to great reforms in the nation. But before Josiah were two very wicked kings who led the, uh, the nation astray to idolatry and all kinds of, of wickedness. And then after Josiah will come more wicked kings until finally God will bring judgment on his people. So he sends a prophet. He sends Zephaniah to bring a warning to the people that the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. And this idea of the day of the Lord is, is in a sense, a day of visitation of God as he comes to bring judgment, as he comes to bring correction. And this time, judgment is being leveled at the people of God, as we saw in the last message last week. Judgment was coming on the nations as God is going to judge them for their wickedness, but then he turns his sights on his people and will judge them because their leaders, their prophets, their priests, their kings were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. So the day of the Lord is a day of great judgment. But as we're going to see this morning, the day of the Lord is also a day of great rejoicing for the remnant because, as we'll see, the wicked will be purged. The haughty and the proud will be removed. And then the remnant will be able to come in. And God will rejoice over his people as they are now a purified people. So while the day of the Lord is an announcement of judgment, it is also an, uh, an announcement of rejoicing for the people of God. An announcement of rejoicing for the remnant. And here Zephaniah sees the day of the Lord as glorious as something to be looked forward to for the remnant, for the remnant. So as we'll see this morning, the day of the Lord is a day of rejoicing as the Lord delights in his people. And we're going to see, uh, hey, four points again. Sunday school is four points. You know, sometimes we joke about the three-point sermon while well, you've got a four-point. You get a bonus point today. But first we're going to see salvation for the nations in verses 9 and 10. Look again, please, at verses 9 and 10. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Now, so far as we've seen in the book of Zephaniah, the day of the Lord is described with, as, as a foreboding day, a day of darkness and gloom and, and depression and, and devastation as the Lord brings his judgment. But here uh, we see that the Lord is coming also to vindicate, to bring restoration. For as we've seen here in verse 9, then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. He, this is a restoration language as the Lord is going to call the nations and he's going to restore to them a pure language here, a, a clean lip, a pure speech. The very nations that were judged in the previous chapter in verses 4 through 15, now the remnant of those nations are going to be gathered together by the Lord as he brings them together to restore them. And this happens at that time. 
right at that day on that day this is the day again the day of the lord it's a time of judgment but it's also a time of rejoicing the day of the lord he will restore to the peoples a pure language now this could be a reference to the purification of speech because before the nations were judged for their wicked lips for their wicked speech for their uh for their haughty language and their proud talk and their boastful talking you know you think of isaiah the prophet isaiah when he was called into the ministry uh when isaiah caught a glimpse of the holiness of the lord right he was he was struck to the core he said woe is me he pronounces a curse upon himself why because he sees himself in the presence of the holy god in his temple high and exalted and when he sees him he recognizes how small isaiah is and he says woe is me i am undone And then he points to the fact that as a prophet, he was called to speak forth. And he's like, look, I know my mouth. I have unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. How can I speak for you, O Lord, since I am wicked? And what does the Lord do? He purifies him. He purifies him. He gives him a pure speech. And here you see in this restored language, this pure language, now, now the people are able to call upon the name of the Lord and to serve Him. This is worship. This is worship from the nations. I also think you, can, you might see here a hint of, of what you see at Pentecost with the reversal of Babel. If you remember uh, the judgment on the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, the curse that God brings upon the nations was to confuse the speech so that they could not gather together. But then what you see on Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2 is the church is gathered together, the nations are brought together, and they're able now to all hear in the same language. Either way, what is being spoken of here by the prophet is that the people will be restored, they will be given pure speech, they will be given a pure language so that they can all call on the name of the Lord. That's the language of worship, to be able to call upon the name of the Lord. And and we see here in verse 10 that this gathering of the nations comes from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. That's Egypt, Cush, Egypt. Think of, again, Eastern Africa. Over the rivers, beyond the rivers, the worshipers will come. They shall bring offerings. And as we know... Uh, When we get to the New Testament, the the offerings are not the offerings of bulls and goats, but the offerings of praise and thanksgiving that are given to God. Here we see in this first point, the promise of Genesis 12, verse 3, brought to life. Right? God promised to Abram that he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and people will bless you. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the world will be blessed. Why? Because through Abram comes the seed of Abram, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is a son of Abraham. He is a son of David, son of Abraham. So it is through Jesus Christ that God will bless the nations. And here we see the nations being gathered to bless and to serve the Lord. That's what's going to happen at that time, at the day of the Lord, the nations. Because it has always been the Lord's plan from the very beginning to have people worship Him from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in this world. And what is hinted at here in Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 is, is fulfilled, in a sense, in Pentecost. 
And we see that fulfillment later on in the book of Revelation in chapter 7 when the church is gathered before the throne of God. It's a, it is a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It is not just ethnic Jews who will be worshiping God. It is people from every nation. All the peoples will call upon the name of the Lord. So here we see that on the day of the Lord, it is salvation for the nations. The nations that were judged now will be restored as they will be gathered to worship the Lord. But it's also salvation for Israel, as we see in verses 11 through 13. In that day, the day of the Lord, you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall all feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid." So salvation is not only for the Lord, but as we see here, is for the remnant of Israel. As we saw, the remnant played a big role in the last section as well. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, we talk about the remnant, and the remnant of my people shall possess the lands of their enemies. Or in verse 11, uh, the remnant will uh, be restored. He will uh, restore the blessings of his people, and the, the remnant will be restored. Here, this idea of the, re- the remnant, uh, the day of the Lord is a day of salvation for them as well. They will not be ashamed. Why? Because in, uh, they, they will take from their midst, the Lord says here, I will take from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Here again is this idea of purification. you purging in order to purify the removal of those who are wicked from, from the nation in order that the remnant will be there pure and, 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 and pristine. The Lord will take away the proud and the haughty. He will remove them. He will take them away. This purging to purify, removing of the dross to impure, improve the purity as we see there in verse 12. What, what is left after the, the, the haughty and the, the proud are removed? Well, a meek and humble people who will trust on the name of the Lord, people who call upon the name of the Lord, people who recognize that there's no room for boasting on God's holy mountain. They shall trust in the Lord. Those who have rejected the Lord are gone. Those who remain will trust in the Lord. And note further that the remnant in verse 13 will do no unrighteousness. They will speak no lies. Again, they will have a pure language as well. Everything that they were judged for in the previous verses, in the previous chapter, will no longer be found in their midst. They will speak no lies, no deceitful tongue, nothing found in their mouth. They will do no unrighteousness. Everything that was characteristic of Judah before the day of the Lord will be gone. It will be removed. It will be purged from their midst. Now we know from biblical history that Judah was conquered, right? This prophecy comes just a little too late for the people of Judah because we know that even though Josiah brought reforms, it was not enough. Josiah's reforms could not restore the people to a position of of, uh, blessing with the Lord. 
Because after Josiah came more wicked kings and, and God did bring the day of the Lord upon his people Judah as Babylon, the sword of his judgment, came and conquered the land and carried them away to Babylon. The day of the Lord came. But there was a faithful remnant. There was a faithful remnant that, that stayed relatively pure while in, in, in Babylon. And that remnant returned to the land. And they sought for the courts of the Lord, as we see in Psalm 84. How much I long for the courts of the Lord, as the psalmist sings there. I long for your courts. My heart aches to be in the presence of the Lord. So here we see a word of salvation for the remnant, as they will be found clean and, and, and all the wickedness will be removed from their sight on the day of the Lord. They shall be restored as well. Now we get to what I think is probably the heart of this passage is really verses 14 through 17. As we see here, the Lord is in your midst. The Lord is in your midst. Now the prophet calls on the people here to sing and to shout to the Lord in verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why are the people here called to rejoice and to shout and to sing and to be glad? Because the Lord is in their midst. The Lord has taken away their judgment. The Lord has removed the haughty and the wicked from them. The Lord now will dwell in their midst here. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. We read earlier, Responsibly from Psalm 48, which is a song that talks about the glory of Zion. Zion is God's holy hill. Zion is where the temple was. The remnant of the temple is still there, actually. But here we see how, again, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. Verse 3, God is in her palaces. He has known her as he is known as her refuge. The, the people shout and they cry because they know that the Lord is in their midst. That's what's going to happen on the day of the Lord. When the Lord restores his people, he will come and dwell among them in their midst. He has taken away their reproach. He has taken away their sin. He has taken away their judgment. And now they rejoice. The enemy is cast out. Again, this is all characteristic of the day of the Lord. On the day of the Lord, judgment comes, removes the wicked, and restores and rewards the righteous. Judgment has come. The enemies have been cast out. Sin has been removed. And as we see here again, the Lord, more importantly, they shout and rejoice because the Lord is in their midst. That's what's going to happen on the day of the Lord in its fullness when the Lord comes to dwell with his people. He has cast out your enemy, the King of Israel. The Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. There's a promise there, right? When the Lord is in your midst, the day of the Lord judgment will no longer befall you and your enemies will no longer be able to afflict you. Now for the people of Zephaniah's day, this would have been seen as the coming of Messiah. Right? That's what they looked forward to. They looked forward to a greater king than the one that they had. It wasn't Josiah that was going to lead them to this day of glory, this day of restoration. As good as Josiah was, he wasn't that good. 
This was a, a, a future hope for the people of Zephaniah's day. A future hope that we see also prophesied in Ezekiel, who is also, in a way, a prophet of the, uh, of the exile in Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 37, verses 24 through 28, here the prophet says, David, my servant, shall be king over them. Remember, Ezekiel wrote his prophecy long after King David was dead. In fact, the people are in exile. In fact, there's no king on the throne. Yet here the prophet is promising the Lord. He is speaking for the Lord, and the Lord is promising here, my servant David shall be king over them, and, he, and, and they shall all have one shepherd. And they shall all walk in my judgments and observe, observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land and I, that I have given, them, given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set them in my sanctuary and I will be in their midst forever. My tabernacle, my dwelling place also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's covenant language. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel and my sanctuary is in the midst forevermore. That's the day that the, the people of Zephaniah's time were looking forward to. That's what Zephaniah says here when he says, the king of Israel is in your midst. They are looking forward to the greater son of David, the Messiah to come. And with this king in the midst, they shall see no disaster or evil. Right? That's what we see at the end of verse 15. You shall see disaster no more. Evil will no longer befall them. All that will have been removed on the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes in its fullness, all evil will be removed from the people of God. And all that's left is the rejoicing. The rejoicing. In verse 16, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. And then in verse 17 you get this beautiful verse. The Lord your God, the one who is in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing don't miss this beloved because this again this is the heart of god for his people you you hear the day of the lord judgment coming you hear this idea of the day of the lord and it sounds like god is an angry vindictive god he is a just god who will justly judge evil and wickedness but once that has been removed from his people once the remnant is there once they have been purified and restored and the nations have been gathered together what does the lord do he rejoices he sings over his people. He quiets them with his love. This is a picture of God rejoicing over us with gladness. I I'm, I'm, can't help but be reminded of the story of the prodigal son, which, you know, oftentimes people look at that. This is a picture of repentance. No, this is a picture of God's love for his people. This is a picture of God's love for the lost. 
as the son who is lost, the younger son who leaves. And, and we, we know that the father is out there looking for his son, hoping one day that his son will return. And when he returns, what does the father do? He runs to his son and embraces his son and weeps over him and rejoices. And then when, when the son tries to get his little repentance speech built up and he says, bring the best robe. Bring shoes for his feet. Let's have a feast because my son who was dead is now returned to me. That is what we see here in Zephaniah 3.17. As the people who have been scattered have been brought back and the Lord rejoices over them with song. How awesome will it be to see God singing over us with gladness. What the earthly king should have been Josiah, Hezekiah, all of them, all the ayahs, what the earthly king should have been, the Lord will be. That's what we see here. The Lord will be king in their midst. No evil will befall them. The Lord will rejoice over them as he restores his lost people, as he restores his scattered people, as he brings people from every tribe, tongue, and nation together. He is in their midst That's temple language. That's Emmanuel language. God among you, right? That's what the temple pictured. The temple was God's house among his people. Jesus Christ himself says, I am the temple. So when Jesus was with his disciples, Jesus was God with his people. And then the church, of course, is a temple unto the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we have God dwelling within us. Well, here on the day of the Lord, we'll see God will be in their midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And again, we can look back. As we said, Judah was exiled. They returned to the land later. They even rebuilt the temple. So in a sense, you could say, you know, they rejoiced when the temple was rebuilt. Because again, God was in their midst. But we know that there's something better being alluded to here by the prophet Zephaniah. Now finally, let's look at verses 18 through 20 as we see here, salvation is from the Lord. Here we see in the final three verses, the Lord gathering the outcasts, those uh, who sorrow, the lame, the afflicted, the captives. Look at verse 18, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you, I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint for them uh, praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. We see here seven times the Lord says, I will, I will. Salvation is of the Lord. This is, the, there is nothing in the people that is going to commend them to God. There's nothing in us that commends us to the Lord. We're never going to come up to the Lord and say, look what I did for you, God. And God's going to say, oh, well, I better reward you because that's such a wonderful thing you did for me there. No, we're going to come to the Lord and we're going to throw ourselves down at his mercy and the Lord will rejoice over us as he accomplishes the salvation. He accomplishes salvation in us. He is the one who has brought us out of darkness, who has made us alive together in Christ, who has been working in us. 
And then He will rejoice over us. I will, I will, I will. And notice how all of these outcasts are brought back to Zion, the lame, the afflicted, the poor, the sorrowful. In the new heavens and the new earth, those whom the world rejected will be honored. They will be brought together. I think of the the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22 where uh, a a great king hosts a wedding feast for his son and, and the invited guests don't come. And then the the king says, well, go out in the highways and the byways and invite all that you see to come into my wedding feast. That's what kind of what we see here as the lame, the poor, the sorrowful, the afflicted are brought into the presence of the Lord. The Lord will gather them. The Lord will bring them in. He will give them fame and praise. He will give them literally a name. That's a reputation. Right? When the Lord gives you a name, there's nothing that can take that away from you. And again, I'm reminded of the last couple of verses of Psalm 23. As we come out of the valley of the shadow of death, what do we see? We see a feast laid before us. As we see a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. As the Lord then invites us to His table, invites us to His presence, anoints our head with oil and rejoices over us in gladness. The Lord will do this. The Lord will prepare all this for us. What a beautiful picture this is of restoration and salvation. In a sense, it's a flip side of what we've seen the last two uh, messages. The last two messages were kind of heavy and dark because the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. And it is a day of darkness. It is a day of gloom. It is a day of foreboding and warning and destruction for the wicked. But for the righteous, it is a day of rejoicing as our God rejoices in our presence, as He rejoices over us with singing at the restored and purified remnant that is before him. There is a purging aspect to this day of the Lord, as we saw here. And just as the haughty and the proud had to be removed, those who spoke wickedness had to be cast out so that only the meek and the humble would remain, the same is true of us, right? In order for us to be there rejoicing on the day of the Lord. We have to have things removed from us. We have to have our sin removed from us. Our sins need to be removed in order to enjoy the positive aspect of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord that fell on Judah is in a sort of in a typological way what we see uh, through Christ in a more realized way. Though they returned to the land and rebuilt the temple, this was not the fulfillment of what we see in this passage here in verses 9 through 20. That's when Jesus comes, right? We talk about Jesus coming in the fullness of time, as Paul says in Galatians 4. He comes in the fullness of time. He is the King of Israel, right? He is the one who is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He comes. He is the one who is the Lord in our midst. During the ministry of Jesus Christ, the enemy was cast out. Our judgments were taken away. I think of that great passage in Colossians 2. We read a little bit of it this morning in Sunday school, but in Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15, this is what it means to have the king in our midst, but not... 
King Josiah, but King Jesus. In Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15, in Him, in Christ, you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There's that purging to purify. Buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. In you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How are our sins dealt with? They are nailed to the cross of Christ. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, there were three things. Three things were crucified on that cross on that day that Jesus died. It was Jesus Christ himself. Our sins, as we see here, were nailed to the cross. And, of course, we ourselves were crucified, as Paul says in Galatians 2. We are crucified with Christ. It's ironic because... Normally, when you crucified somebody in those days, you put a sign on there that was an indication of what this person was guilty of that is deserving the death penalty. Well, what was the sign that they hung on Jesus' cross, on his cross? What was the sign that was there? Here is the king of Israel. Here is the king of the Jews. That was the only crime the Romans could find on him. But what else was nailed to that cross? What, What was he really killed for? Our sins. Our sins were nailed to that cross. So instead of Jesus' guilt, instead of Jesus' sins, our sins were there because He bore them on the cross. They were nailed there. He dealt with them. He removed them. In a sense, as Zephaniah says, we are purged, right? Evil's been removed from our midst. Jesus did that with His own body, taking away the the sins that, that bore us down, having nailed them, to the cross. And now this gospel goes out to all nations. Remember, God is gathering people from all nations. He calls all nations to be reconciled to God through Christ. So that when Christ returns on the final day, when the day of the Lord comes in its fullness on the return of Christ, he will rejoice over us. I want to look at a couple of passages in Revelation as we close. First in Revelation 19. What is it going to look like when the Lord rejoices over his people? What is it going to look like on the day of the Lord for the remnant? Revelation 19, verses 6 through 10. As Babylon is defeated, we hear, see in Revelation 19, verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I, this is John the author, fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have uh, the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. What we see here is 
the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? That's the church. That's us. That is the, 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 those who are united to Christ. When Christ returns, that marriage will be consummated and there will be great rejoicing on that day as the, the bride is arrayed. She is purified. She is in fine white linen that speaks of purity. Why? Because God has purged away all of our sins and all there is left there is to celebrate for all eternity the marriage of the bride, the church, with her bridegroom, that is Jesus Christ. He will rejoice over us, and then he will be in our midst for all times, as we see in Revelation 21, just two chapters over. And again, in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, and I'll close with this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle, that is, again, remember, God's dwelling place. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. On the day of the Lord, for the remnant, there will be no more sorrow all the sorrowful who have been gathered together, all the afflicted, all, the, all the, the lame and the weak will be gathered together. They will be renewed in Christ and there will be every tear will be wiped away from their eyes. All sorrow will be removed and God will dwell in their midst forever just as the prophet Zephaniah prophesied all those years ago. And this is a promise for those of us who are in Christ. That's a promise for us, for those of us who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. This is not a promise for all people. If you are outside of Christ, then I implore you to come into Christ, to repent of your sins, to embrace Christ by faith, and to rest in His finished work alone. Then the Lord God Himself will rejoice over you as well with singing and great gladness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we see here, as we close our time in the book of Zephaniah, what a great privilege it is to see that the Lord will rejoice over us with singing and great gladness. Why? Because we are now a purified bride. We are a purified people. So Lord, we are thankful. This is all your doing. The only thing we made we brought to the table is the sin that made all of this necessary in the first place. But Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that you will restore your people on that day. All the evil that afflicts us, all the evil in the world will be removed and you will rejoice and be in our midst forever. Lord, until that day, strengthen us in our pilgrim journey. Strengthen us as we seek, Lord, to walk according to the calling we have received. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.